You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at harvestoakville.ca. And in your next offering of worship, please open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, and we'll be, Lord willing, looking at verses 18 to 26 as we continue on in our series, Citizens of Heaven, discovering the purpose and perspective and passion there is for life in Jesus Christ through God's Word. I just want to ask for your forgiveness just up front. I have a stubborn cough, and if it if I cough during the message, just I thank you for your grace or sniffle, whatever it is. It just won't go away, but we'll see how we do here. So thank you for your grace in that. Apparently some of other people also have coughs here. So that's, <laughs> tis the season, I guess, huh? Yeah. Um, all right, so we're in Philippians chapter 1, and our theme verse for this entire text is to live as Christ. To live as Christ is the message title. And it's kind of our hub for our passage and the verses surrounding it. So let me just take that theme here for a second of life. What are the popular sayings that we have when it comes to life? You'll see, by the way, every saying I'll put up here in some sense is true, okay? In some sense, I believe it's true, even biblically true in some sense. Some of them don't have the full truth, but they have partial truth, all right? So here's one right now, and we hear, live life to the fullest. That's, that's good, yes, especially according to God's word. Um, live life to the fullest, we'll see today, is, is ultimately fulfilled in Christ. There's no life more fulfilled and living to the fullest in Christ. But the world kind of says it in a different way. Live life to the fullest. Have fun, do whatever. Okay, here's a, another saying we like to say a lot or hear. The next one is this. You only live once. And that's true. I, I say it all the time. It helps for urgency. And they would, the world would apply this in different ways. You only live once, so you know, go do this or go do that or go find pleasure here, whatever. You only live once, though, and understanding this life in Jesus Christ is what we have. It's perspective. It's so true. Let's live like it. Let's act like it. Let's talk like it. Let's think like it. Here's a, another saying about life. This, Abraham Lincoln, he was a smart man. He said, in the end, it's not the years in your life that count. It's the life in your years. Amen. That's, that's, that's really good. I like that. It's not how old we eventually live, and people want to live long life. For, for what purpose? What kind of life have you lived? It's the life in your years. And as we revere the Lord and understand the Bible in front of us, that's so true. You can live just a short time, but live an incredibly impactful life as we see even the characters of God's word before us. Short lives, uh, forever changed and continuing changed lives by God's grace. Here's another uh, saying. Yes, life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Of course, Forrest Gump said that as far as I know. You can correct me later if you want to. But I mean, it's kind of true, isn't it? It's partially true. You never really know what you're going to get in this life, and yet it's not true in the sense we'll see today there are things that are guaranteed in Jesus Christ, absolutely guaranteed. Like if you're in Christ right now, you're, you're heavenese, amen, and you're going to heaven. Like that, that is the greatest guarantee we can ever have, but there's parts of life we're not really sure can kind of what's happening. You know, in many ways, it's like we're on a cruise ship, right, under the sovereignty of God. On a cruise ship, you're making all these daily decisions, and you're not really sure what's going to happen each day, but you don't have any control of where the ship is actually going, Right? And in Christ, we're headed to a destination, but under God's sovereignty, all these things are happening. Here's another saying I want you to see here. Oscar Wilde said this, to live is the rarest thing in the world. Most people just exist. I think if you apply the Bible to that, that's very true also. Most of our world are just existing. They're not actually living. Why would we say that to be true? Why are most people just existing and not living? It's really summed up in four words, our final slide, which is this. Here is the whole point of life. To live is Christ. To live is Christ. Um, Christ is purpose. Christ is meaning. Christ is the definition of life. Christ is everything. He is satisfaction. He is, again, life over death. Jesus Christ is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. There is no life apart from him. So therefore, to actually live, to truly live, to purely live, is Christ. Christ, who is your life, it says in the letter to the church in Colossae. And we're going to see today, of course, to live is Christ. And think about that. 
To live as Christ is absolutely essential in being a citizen of heaven. It's who we are as Christ followers. To not live in that direction is to go against what we say we believe. To live as Christ, it's our DNA. Like literally, the Holy Spirit in us. He becomes our DNA, a new creation. We now have him and the outworking of of his grace in our lives leading us and causing us to how we should think and, and, and our purpose in life. He's our DNA. To live as Christ is our MO, modus operandi. It's It's the whole purpose and system of why we are here and, again, what we do and the operating system of kind of how we think and what we want to accomplish. To live as Christ, it's that big a deal. To live as Christ is our entire existence. Sometimes we've got to stop long enough and just, you know, take the time to go, to live as Christ, to live as Christ, to live as Christ. I really encourage you, loved ones, too, as you're reading God's Word, sometimes just take a phrase like that. And say it, like meditate on it, like, like literally meditate on it and just let it just mull over and soak and, and just be saturated. To live is Christ, to live is Christ. Maybe get a pen out and you have your journal and you just start to write things. To live is Christ and everything that comes to mind. It's amazing. It's amazing how often, how seldom we actually do things like that. But then to take a moment to turn the TV off, whatever it is, put the phone down and to be like, to live is Christ. To live is Christ. All of a sudden, the Holy Spirit starts to speak into our lives. All of a sudden, we start to hear his voice and to know his will and to feel so filled with love. It's amazing how supernatural that simple process becomes. Simply just to let the word of God and the Holy Spirit of God become the prayer of God and then find us in the will of God, having the heart of God. To live as, even though I do that right now, I'm just so blessed by it. To live as Christ. Again, ponder, contemplate, Meditate on this. And the question we ask now, am I living to live as Christ? Are you? Am I? Like right now, are we, are we living to live as Christ? The attitude, this perspective is fundamental to the Christian life. This passion is absolutely critical if we truly say that we are following Christ. To live as Christ, does that, does this describe me? Does it, Lord? Does this truth describe me right now, that to live is Christ? Here's another question. How do I know if I'm living to live as Christ? How do I know if I'm living this truth to live as Christ? Am I close? Am I far? Am I on track? Am I totally clueless? Am I Christ-like? We find out today from God's word. We're going to find out right now, together. Am I living to live as Christ? Or am I nowhere close? God, God, show it exactly for what it is. May no one sit here and be able to play the game and to think somehow they're close to Christ when they're nowhere near him, really. And any one of us that are hypocritical right now and what we say and live, God, expose it in love. And we wouldn't fight it. We, re- we, we receive it for what it is, your love to show us where we are hypocritical, to repent and then by grace be restored back to God because to live as Christ is life itself. Am I living to live as Christ? Philippians 1 verse 18, check it out. The second half of verse 18. Yes, and I will rejoice, Paul says. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Why, Paul? Here's why. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, stay alive, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. I love how honest Paul is here. My desire is to part and be with Christ, for that is far better, heaven. But to remain in the flesh here on earth is more necessary on your account. Verse 25. Convinced of this, then, I know that I will remain and continue with you all, notice, for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus 
because of my coming to you again. The hub of this text is to live as Christ. Everything we're going to see is centered around that phrase, to live is Christ. And the question again, are we living to live as Christ? Let's find out. We see a few things from this passage right now. To live as Christ, number one from Paul, we see this. It means that I have the courage to truly live. If I am living as to live as Christ, then I will have the courage to truly live for Christ in the midst of an anti-Christ world. Again, verse 18. Yes, I will rejoice. What? For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance as it is my eager expectation and hope. Now, I want you to see, we're going to show this in just now, but there's momentum with what Paul is saying. Like, notice he's leading here, my expectation and hope, I will not be at all the shame, but that with full courage, there's momentum with Paul and how he's living this life with full courage. Now as always, notice, Christ will be honored, or also you can translate that magnified. Christ will be magnified in my body. Notice he says here, whether by life or death, whether I live or die, whether I'm martyred in prison, or I remain alive for the purposes of Jesus Christ, he's like, I'm living with the full courage. Kill me. Keep me alive. I'm living for Christ. How do you live that way? That's to live as Christ. You have the courage to truly live. So we're pulling out here from verse 20, notice, one word, courage. Two words, full courage. Full courage for what? That Christ will be honored in my body, whether I live or die. Can we say that? Is that where we're at today? If we're living to live as Christ, then we can say that. Because we understand the theology behind it. Paul's in prison, we know. Paul's life is at stake, we know. Paul is uncertain of his future, yet at the exact same time, Paul is 100% certain of his future. I love that. Again, that's so much of the Christian life. We said that. We're uncertain, and yet completely certain. Look at Paul's courage to live. Look at Paul's courage to die. This is the courage to truly live. And we're going to see Paul's citizenship bursting forth from these verses today. But let's just stop ourselves already right now. Do I have the courage to truly live? Based on what I've already heard, we can't say it enough. To live is Christ. To live is Christ. When you understand that to live is Christ himself, that Christ is life, then you realize you cannot lose. See, there's no negative outcome for the true follower of Jesus Christ. Do you understand that? There's no negative outcome. You're like, no, 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 I, I think there is a negative outcome. Like, life is hard, man. I've had trials all over the place. I understand that, but we're not living for now. We're living for what will be. In the end, when you're face to face with Jesus Christ, you're like, no, good, no negative. No negative outcome. You see Jesus Christ in all his glory, not one complaint, not one question. There's not one kind of accusation in Christ in his glory. Good, good, good. That's how sufficient Jesus Christ is to live as Christ. Whether life or death, my life is used, Paul's saying here too, to honor Christ. That's powerful living right there. Whether I die, I honor Christ. Whether I live, I honor Christ. So therefore, whether I live or die, I honor Christ. To live as Christ. Powerful. The courage to live. What's happening right now? The Bible's speaking. The Holy Spirit's speaking. It's not that complicated. It's difficult in the terms of actually living this way, but it's certainly possible. Think of that. What courage, what boldness, what life in Paul? What about us? What about us? Think of how we cower in so many aspects of life. Think of the things that fill us with anxiety. Go ahead right now. Go ahead right now. Lots of anxiety in the room. What causes it? What are we actually worried about? What are we so fearful of? What, what makes us so afraid? What causes us to bite our nails and pace at home? What are those things that make us feel so much fear? And when we feel so much fear, we find out what we're so afraid of, and that reveals our heart and also reveals our motives. 
Compare Paul's state of mind in this text right here with our frequent state of mind and notice the gap. Paul's like, I die to live as Christ. I live to live as Christ. And we tremble over the most, and I'll speak for myself, I have so much fear and anxiety and worry over things that in the end are so dumb. The distance of Paul's state of mind and my state of mind so often. Yet by God's grace, he wants to draw us a little bit closer. He wants to give us the courage to truly live and understand what it means to live as Christ. How does Paul do this? Well, notice that this section here, verses 18 and 19, notice this section ends with courage, but notice it starts with conviction. Oh, here we go. Here we go, okay? Here's discipleship. Here it is, ready? Verse, verse it says there, 19, for I know, for I know. Okay, here comes the power. For I know, for I know. What's happening here? A power of a renewed mind. The power of a single mind. The power of a conviction-filled mind. What happens when my mind is renewed? When my mind is singly focused on Christ? When I see my theology for what it is? When I'm filled with God's Spirit and how I should think? All of a sudden, clarity results in courage. See that? Paul's so clear with what life is about. He's so clear. It's one, my, it's one of my Philippians, one of my favorite books in the Bible. There's so much clarity to Paul. The world is dung. Christ is surpassing worth. Heaven is my citizenship. One day Jesus Christ will return. Every knee shall bow, every tongue will confess. He just so much clarity. And from his clarity comes courage. See that? When we're not clear in why we live, then we're afraid. When we're not clear, as to the purpose of Jesus Christ, then our eyes go off of him and it goes on to whatever else we're doing and that's where the fear sets in. That's when we tremble at the world as opposed to trembling at the word. I want us to see here where this courage is coming from, the momentum in these verses. And we gotta pick it up. You know what Paul's doing right now? He's climbing a mountain of courage. But notice the energy and the resources along the way to truly live again. Look at verse 19. He says, what? For I know that through your prayers... And the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Now notice this. Paul's reliance on the prayers of the church in Philippi, this humble group of people. And look what Paul's doing here. He's relying on their prayers to the point that he believes their prayers will overcome the power and the authority of Rome itself. He's looking for his deliverance from the prayers of God's people. He's in prison and he looks to prayer. Love, once again, here, do not miss this. Notice the power of prayer and the continuation of courage. See that? How do you overstate this, really? How can we have the courage to truly live without the power of prayer in our lives? Get that, get that, get that, get that, get that. How can we have the courage to truly live, to live as Christ, if we're not praying through our lives? Having others pray for... I've never been more convinced of this as pastor of this church. How much... I, wife, my wife, family, us, depend on the prayers of the people. Like when people come up and say, man, we're praying for you, man. I don't take that as a cliche. I'm like, thank you. Thank you. Because how much you believe in the reality of the power of prayer and the ability to carry on by the grace that God gives through the dependence of God's people. All of us fall in that category. The courage we don't have for the lack of prayer in our lives because we cease to seek the one who gives us the strength to carry on. Notice Paul right here, undeniably, unapologetically saying, I'm relying on your prayers for my deliverance. This is why the safest place I know is on my knees in prayer. And that's true for you too. I'm telling you that when in doubt, when, when in doubt, loved ones drop to pray. When in doubt, when in doubt. Why? Because this is, this is where courage comes from. The courage, the source of prayer and what God brings and how he does this and <coughs> is trying to be so mindful of this ongoing basis, this simplicity of prayer. Just telling our team this week again, whoever would listen to me, hey man, lead with prayer, lead with prayer, lead with prayer, lead with prayer. We can't do this on our own. There's no way. <coughs> There's no way. Neither can you. Notice in verse 19, two more resources to climb the mountain of courage. Some of us again, I want more courage. Okay, prayer, 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 prayer. Notice this now. He says, verse 19, 
and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Ah, look at that. Prayer in the Holy Spirit. Does it get any better than that? I love that. So simple, so profound, so powerful. The word help there, see that there? And the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Help um, means and is translated supply or provision. That's beautiful. The supply of the Holy Spirit. The provision of the Holy Spirit. How can we climb the mountain of courage on our own? We can't. We need the supply, the provision, the help of the Holy Spirit himself because the Holy Spirit becomes our courage. Think of the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, really the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Every time the church filled with the boldness and the presence of the Holy Spirit of God. Every time, there they are, they got nothing. Pentecost, boom, Peter stands up, 3,000 people get saved. Is it Peter? No. It's the supply and help of the Holy Spirit. Let me ask you, loved ones, in all seriousness right now, right now, are you anticipating, praying, expecting, and asking for the Holy Spirit to be daily and active in your life, again, on a daily basis? Are you? When's the last time you've intentionally sought to be filled again, Ephesians 5.18, with the Holy Spirit of God? That you have asked for his presence, his strength, that you know he lives within you, but when's the last time you sincerely sought him day by day, hour by hour, saying, Spirit of God, I need you. Spirit of God, you have to be my strength today. Some of us have, a lot of us haven't. Is it any wonder then why we live with such a lack of courage? Look what Paul's doing. Paul's like, I can't do this, man, apart from you praying for me and the Spirit of God in my life. Look at Paul. Are we any different? Are you kidding me? I'm telling you, I'm telling you, it's not, that, it's not that complicated. Notice, when we ask for the help of the Holy Spirit of God, that becomes a prayer. Oh, they just went together. Prayer and the help of the Holy Spirit of God. Are we doing it? Listen, I know the stats. I know the stats. I know how many believers are not doing this. Again, when our theology is right, it changes how we live. When we understand we can't, we go to the one who can. Do you know how many times a day I think about this stuff? I don't know, dozens, maybe hundreds. It's just constantly rolling through my mind. Robbie, you can't do it, you can't do it, you can't do it, you can't do it. Pray, 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 pray. Seek the word, seek the word. Holy Spirit of God, Holy Spirit of God. You know how many times I get frustrated? You know how many times I get discouraged? You know how many times again, even here today, up and down the roller coaster of like, oh, I want to do this, oh, I want to. Here we are, here we are, God. God, if you don't do it, it's not going to happen. This is where Paul's courage comes from. The supply, the filling of the Holy Spirit of God. Loved ones, expect him, pray for him, long for him, love him, anticipate his provision. And then look at verse 20 now, verse 20. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be ashamed but with full courage. So you see what happened here? The momentum, the prayer, the supply of God's spirit, now the theology of hope and expectation. Paul's context is prison. His trial is coming but notice his fate is sure in one sense. He is sure of where ultimately he's going to end up. He says, it is my eager expectation and hope. What's that? That's his anticipation of the future that through his life, whether in death or life, Christ will be exalted. I love that eager expectation and hope um, behind that in the original. It carries the meaning of craning your neck to see. It's like, you know when you're a crowd and you're watching maybe a performance or a sports team, whatever it is, and you kind of look and people stand up and you're looking and you've got to see and you have a hopeful anticipation of what you're about to see. That's what's being expressed right here. This is Paul. It's my eager expectation and hope that whatever I'm about to see, man, it's going to be good because it has to be good craning the neck to see again what is there. The courage to look because you know that in God's will it's going to be good. I want you to see here too, this eager expectation and hope. See what it does, okay? What it does right now, it blocks out all other distractions. His hope in Christ, his hope for his future, his eschatology is right Everything else is, is, is off the table now, and his, his focus is so clear. This is where the inability to multitask is a good thing. I'm not one of them, all right? Or at least I can't multitask. So when I'm at home and, and, and the TV's on or there's something that I'm looking at or reading, whatever it might be, and I'm 
focused on that one thing and my wife Jill tries to talk to me, I feel so bad sometimes, you know? And I realize that one of my sons for sure has inherited my inability to multitask, all right? You're talking to him, son, did you hear me? Son, did you hear me? (laughs) One of those things, you know? But see, spiritually, that's so good. When you are so filled with hope, this is Paul, and you're looking here, you're looking, and all you see is this, all the crowd, all the noise, all the distractions, you're just, you don't even see that. They're all over here somewhere. Because you're so focused to live as Christ. You're like, is that possible? Uh-huh. Absolutely. It's a, it's a battle every day. Every day is a battle. You kind of figure it out this day, and you'll wake up and fight the battle the next day. But it, yes, it is possible. We can live in such a way, man, we're just, our eyes are fixed and gaze on Jesus Christ. And we're filled with the courage to truly live. This is what Paul is saying right here. And notice what his hope does. See what's happening here? The prayers of God's people, the supply of God's spirit, the hope and expectation of his deliverance, and all of a sudden, it goes, put that all in a blender, mix it up, and courage. Courage what? That whether I live or die, Christ will be honored in my body. Full courage. This is what happens. To live is Christ is the courage to truly live in the face of life and death. Because this is what Christ does in us. This is the call right now for our lives. Too much of the church waning in apathy. This stuff just breaks right through it. Just blows it up like a spiritual hand grenade right in the middle. And it's beautiful. And what happens? And the world is seen for what it is. It is amazing to live as Christ. The courage to truly live. I was just reminded of the story of uh, Stephen being stoned to death. I mean, it's such a remarkable, remarkable story. Telling my girls this a little bit this week too. And you think about it, he's being stoned to death, and he looks up and he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And the people around him are so mad. They grind their teeth at him, the text says. They rush out and they're literally killing him with stones. And he looks up and he sees the vision of Jesus Christ standing at the right hand of God. And he says, he says to the Lord, he prays out and cries as he's literally dying. He says, Do not hold this sin against them. Like, who does that? Who does that? Who has the courage when they're being stoned to death with rocks, crushing your skull? You look up at a vision of Jesus Christ and the people that are killing you say, God, do not hold this sinning. What, what kind of courage is that? What is that? To live as Christ? It's to live as Christ. His focus is so on, literally on Jesus at that point. All the distractions around him are nothing, even to the point of stones being thrown at him that he might die. Whether in life or death, that I honor you, Lord Jesus Christ, with my body. Why? Because to live is Christ. And that means I have the courage to truly live. Possible? Yep. It is. It is. Get there in a day? Maybe. Not likely. Bit by bit, bit by bit, bit by bit. Live more for Christ, you know? Three steps forward, maybe two steps back, but then three steps forward, one step back, that's the call of the Christian life. God advancing us along the way and what he wants us to do. To live in Christ means I have the courage to truly live. Secondly, it's this. My heavenly reality results in earthly urgency. If I'm living as to live as Christ, my reality in heaven becomes my urgency on earth. So look at verse 21 now, okay? He says this. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Notice, for to me. So now the, the, the sequence of his thought, the continuation of what he's doing now. To live is Christ, to die is gain. We've got to stop here for a second. And this is our hub. So beautiful. So powerful. The secret to Paul's life here. His whole life is Christ, right? To live is Christ, meaning Christ is his delight, purpose, direction, power, his meaning, his foundation. To live is Christ, Question, what is life to you and me? What is it? To Paul, to live is Christ. To live is blank. What would you fill that in with? Let's look at some suggestions here, okay? So just don't put the slide up for a second now, but just, okay, to live is in sincerity right now before the Lord. What would be your answer? Like with um, the affections of our heart, the time of our lives, the things that stress us out the most, the things that you know we spend money on, reveals a lot. Speaking of money, okay, so go to the next one. To live is 
for so many people, this is their answer. It just is. For so many people, their life is defined by the pursuit of greater gain for what? You gotta keep that, for what, for what, for what, for what? For so many people to live as money. Is that, is that you or me right now? For some people, the next one's this. To live is, okay, you can insert your team. You're the Leafs. I don't think the Leafs too. Okay, then to live is the Habs, all right? Or whatever. It's amazing how much of our world surrounded by entertainment to live is and insert the idolatry necessary and they're literally next one escape to the other and they're living. I mean, just think about that for a second. For so many people, this is how their life is defined. They're just living for the next game. Together, they have some drinks, they sit around with friends, they cheer, and then and they, they rise and fall based on whether or not their team wins. Because to live is, is you know. A couple of years ago, this was unthinkable, wasn't it? But, but now all of a sudden, it's like, well, hey man, hey man, you be careful, be careful, right? Well, the next one, to live is the achievement, rewards, trophies, to live, you know, it's a Super Bowl trophy there, but the things that we, our highest objective, what are we going for? The, if I can just get to this point in life, and then to live is that this is my life. Next one, to live is family. Good, 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 so good. But not if it's your idol. It's, it's, it's Christ residing over our family. What are we doing with our family? Are we leading them to Christ, whose life? Or are we leading them to the other things we just saw? Sports, entertainment, money, pursuit of whatever. Good, good. Not the greatest. Next one, to live is, to live is my career. A lot of people are in this too. This is my life. This is my, but how when your career's done? What happens if you get sick, can't work anymore? What happens when you get fired? What happens when it just runs out? What, to live is I mean, good, it's good, but it's not it. Many people, though, this is their whole life, their whole life. I'm living for my spot. My purpose is my identity in my job. That's another one I think here. Oh, people, look at that. That looks nice, doesn't it? Looks nice. Probably like a little infinity pool there, man. There's like no one there. It's pretty empty. I can sit down. I think there's a towel waiting for me and perfect sunny side. Isn't it amazing as long as you look at this and, you know, the snow and the cold of winter and you can look at this and you can be tempted to say, man, that's my answer right there. I could just get there. Yeah, that would just be like, even right now, some of you, stop looking. Stop looking. It's bad for you, okay? Yeah. Guard your eyes, you know? But it's amazing how often, if I can just get there, then, then I'll live. What? It's a lie. A lie. A lot of people have gotten there. It hasn't worked out so great, right? Doesn't have to be bad, but not if it's the thing that we're living for, right? Leisure, pleasure. Last one, is it? To live is um, appearance, to live is physique, to live is, this guy's bulging out of his head and stuff. He's working hard at that, man, right? It's amazing. If I can look a certain way, then I'm alive. The Bible says it profits little, right? It's not bad. If it is, it becomes our idolatry. Many people are living for the gym, living for their appearance, living for a persona, living for some right now, some right now. This is you. This is you, okay? Wake up. It's not, it's not wrong to be in good physical shape. It's wrong if we think this is our whole purpose and identity in life. And finally, again, Paul takes us to this, to live as Christ. He's the only one who can actually satisfy He's the only one who is our fullness of life. To live, to live is Christ. To, to live is Christ. Notice this, loved ones, in verse 21. Because Christ is life, that means to die is gain. Woo! To die is gain. Notice, to die is to actually be with Christ. So the ultimate goal of our entire existence is the hope of glory. To live is Christ. To die is gain. Look at how Paul impacts this now in verse 22. He says, if I'm to live in the flesh, stay alive, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. So notice, Paul's wrestling here of whether he wants to die or not. He's like, I want to die! 
die, but I don't want to die. I, I want to die, but maybe I should stick around. If he lives, then it's fruitful labor in the gospel. But if he dies, he departs and is with Christ. And notice right there, if you have any question of what happens when a believer dies, look at right here again, another verse. For to depart, to depart, and to be with Christ. Loved ones who have passed from this life are in, immediately in the presence of Jesus Christ. He says that's far better. This whole sequence here is listening to a conversation that Paul is having with himself, kind of. He's like, should I die? Should I live? Which one's, you know, I, like, I kind of like both options. In fact, dying's better. It's amazing. Hey, did you ever do that? Like, in a good way? Are you ever, like, kind of wrestling with, man, oh, if I die, I'd, I'd be with Jesus. Ever do that? Ever do that? I do that. I do that. I mean, we're singing that song, Bound for Glory, tonight, you know. All my pain, hurt, and shame gone when Jesus calls. Yes, please. Yes. Thank you. That would be awesome. All pain, hurt, and shame gone when Jesus calls my name. In the presence of glory, not the inability to have a negative thought ever again. No pain, no sin, none of it. I mean, that's pretty good. And, and that's what Paul's saying. And it's good when we do this, loved ones, in a healthy biblical way. We're called to groan. We're groaning for what is to be our redemption, Romans 8. We are eagerly anticipating the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Revelation 22, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. Those are all good things. Waiting for the redemption again of our bodies. Yes, Lord, please. And Paul's wrestling with this himself. But his conclusion in verse 24, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. So I need to see this. I need us to see this with such great clarity. Kate, notice this, Kate. Paul's heavenly reality results in an earthly urgency. The very fact he knows where he's going now results in a greater urgency for where he is on earth. You've heard me say this before, but my disdain for the phrase that those who are heavenly minded are of no earthly good, try telling that to Paul, all right? I dare you to say that to Paul. In fact, try holding up that sentence in the face of the book of Philippians, not to mention the entire New Testament. His entire earthly urgency is a direct result of his heavenly reality. Could that, could that be said about us? Ask yourself right now. Can that be said about me? My reality of heaven is pointing me to the urgency that I live here on earth. We must wake up to the reality of heaven to create in us an urgency again for Jesus Christ now. It's amazing what happens to the clarity that comes and the encouragement that it brings. So this past weekend, I was in Las Vegas. I was preaching at Hope Church, Vance Pittman's church. He's been here a couple of times. Uh, my brother attends that church. It was, it, was, it was very, very encouraging. So thankful to be able to be with them. It was so interesting. So I uh, stay in a hotel there, and part of the hotel, um, there was a casino attached to it. Decent size. I don't know much about casinos, but we were there. And so we're in the Pacific time zone, and it's the first morning, and I'm going from Eastern time zone to Pacific. I wake up early on a normal day, and so I'm waking up very early in Pacific time zone, okay? So I'm wandering around the hotel a little bit. Jill's still sleeping in the room and just trying to find a place to kind of seek the Lord, read the word, and the hotel we're staying in, they seem to have like this dance music that never turned off ever. And, um, and so I was just like, I went outside, but it's honestly, it was, it was as cold there as it was here, okay? So it was like, it was like two degrees or something like that. So outside wasn't really an option. So I find myself walking into the casino part, which is open 24 hours, of course, and I knew they had like a Starbucks there that had no walls. Like it was open, like the couches were there. So I go and I find myself and I sit down in the Starbucks. The casino's pretty empty, whatever. All the slot machines are there. They're all there. And I sit down and I put some, and they have music playing there, of course, as well, right? And so I grab a coffee, sit down with the word, and I put my earphones in and start listening to worship music and um, just begin to seek the Lord. And it's amazing. The Lord just met me um, so powerfully. I was there and just studying Psalm 51 at that time and just praying with the weekend and asking for God's help and just saw his beauty. And um, to the point I was sitting in the Starbucks kind of chair by myself with Bible open, my journal beside me, and, and I just tears started running down my cheeks and so filled with worship and awe of Jesus Christ. And I was telling this to Louis, our music director, the story, and he's like, so you're sitting there crying at a casino, people walking by probably saying, that poor guy lost all that money. <laughs> And, um, but I was there, and honestly, it was, like, it was like one of those moments where like five minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 45 minutes, I didn't want it to end. 
And I was sitting there, though, in a moment of perspective where I'm looking out at the epitome of temporal earth, casino, slot machines. And there's some people there at five in the morning and they're gambling, whatever they're doing. And I'm sitting there and I'm overcome with the presence of God, overcome with the spirit and the grace and the mercy and the love of God. And in that moment, you're just, I'm, I'm in the casino experiencing the presence of God. First time in my life that ever happened, all right? And it was awesome. It was so awesome. It was the contrast to live as Christ. He's life. All these people wanting so much to find something if they could win. And you're sitting there like, I found it all because I've won with Jesus. This is what he does. I remember texting just overwhelmed. I texted Jill and even a picture kind of with the slot machines and where I was, my Bible open. She's like, wow, the Holy Spirit even moves in casinos. Yes. Yes, apparently he does. The eternal urgency we feel when we live for Christ. So, to live as Christ means the courage to truly live. A heaven reality results in earthly urgency. And then thirdly, this. This is important, right, loved ones? I remain for the transformation of others. I remain for the transformation of others. Okay, so look at verse 25 now, okay? So watch this. So do you want to know if you're living for Christ? Look at Paul. Look at Paul here. Convinced of this, I know. Okay, again, watch this. He's so sure. Convinced of this, I know, that I will remain and continue. Now, again, he doesn't know exactly if he's going to live or die. We know that. But he knows, again, his usefulness for Christ and whatever happens. But he says this, that I will remain and continue with you all, watch, for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Now, look at Paul's heart here. Look at this. He's like, okay, I want to go to heaven because that's way better. But, but, but what I know is I got to stay here because I got to care for you, which is more important right now than me being with Jesus Christ. And the reason I got to be here with you is to care for you. How? To see your progress, your advancement, and your joy in the faith. Because when that happens, then your lives give glory to Jesus Christ. Paul here is defining his life and ministry. I exist for the transformation of others. Now watch, Paul just defined our ministry too. We exist for the transformation of others that their lives might give glory to Jesus Christ. Love, and this is such a big deal. Do we see what it lives, what it means to live for Christ? When I live for Christ, my life is impacting other people's lives for the progress of Jesus Christ. That word progress was also found in our text last week with Pastor Craig in advance. Advance the gospel. It's the same Greek word. The word carries the idea of moving through obstacles and pushing through resistance. Now, isn't that the Christian life, huh? Narrow, hard, difficult, involves suffering, anything but easy. And, and Paul says, I stay that you might advance through the obstacles, pushing through the resistance, fighting the good fight of the faith, and my life is to be used for that your life can see this progress and joy in your faith. That's the Christian life. This is what Paul was called to do. He knew it. I'm living for Christ. I'm here for your progress and your joy in the faith. Question, are we living with the same purpose? Often, you see what a big deal this is? You've got to see this. If we're living for Christ, we are here on earth for the progress and joy of other people and their faith in Jesus Christ. What lives are we impacting for Jesus Christ right now? Every, don't just look at me up here and say, well, you're, you do that. You're, you're preacher boy up here, or whatever. You're supposed to, no, 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 no. Every single person who is alive in Jesus Christ, your purpose is being described right now. Every single one of us are here and remaining here, not with Christ yet, for the transformation of others. No one, no one gets a pass on this. No one. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations. Spoken to who? The church. If you're alive in Jesus Christ, that's you. So right now, ready? Clear the desk, man. Get, just, just throw away all the clutter right now. And look down at what's in front of you. Like, look, look down at what's in front of you. Everything else is gone. Say, this, this is my calling in life. I am called to make disciples. I am called 
to see others transformed by my life. You're like, Robbie, but I don't have a clue how to do this. No, 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 no. You seek the Lord, man, little by little and big and big, whatever it is. This is what God does. We pray, we love, we exhort, we encourage. We see others advance. Paul's heart for discipleship here. He's like, I want to die and be with Christ, but right now the right thing for me to do is to stay, that you might advance and have joy in your faith, that you might give glory. Look what Paul says here. This is what he does, okay? This is his heart for discipleship. He's, notice how decided in mind he is. He's like, yeah, this is what I'm supposed to do. How dependent in faith. He's like, I rely on the Lord, your prayers, the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. I'm devoted in heart for discipleship. Loved ones, we have to be decided in mind, dependent in faith, and, deci- and, and devoted in, in heart. Again, here's the question down here. Here's the question. It's this. Can this be said about you and me right now? Can this be said about us right now? It, it needs to be said about who are you discipling. Parents, think about how this changes where you are right now. I, working in Harvest Kids, bless you, bless you, bless you. The advancement of others in the faith. Our youth retreat right now. Dozens of workers up there pouring into the lives of youth for their advancement in the faith and their joy in Christ. Serving in the church, greeting, parking lot, hospitality in a few moments with part of the pastors, small group leaders, group leaders, on and on and on and on, leaders and and just people loving one another. Here, I'm remaining here, not dead yet, (coughs) for the transformation of others. But I need to say this right now, okay, as a pastoral word to our church right now too. Some of us right now aren't being used to see progress and joy but we're being used to produce regress and grief in others. See, what do you mean? Envy. Envy doesn't progress people in the faith. It tries to hold them back and take them backwards. Who's fighting envy right now? Envy kills the momentum of the Spirit of God and transformation. Jealousy. Who's jealous right now? Uh, jealousy between believers. It, it's so powerful, but it's so damaging and it's so useless that the enemy tries us to think otherwise. Self-promotion. Just constantly trying to get in front so that you can be seen, I can be seen. That's not advancing others in the faith. That's, that's demoting others and trying to promote yourself. Bitterness. Bitterness right now. Where is their bitterness here? Bitterness is not helping others progress in the faith. You actually, in your bitterness, you want to see people be destroyed. Really. If you let it go to where it's going to go. And you see it for what it is. Gossip. Hate gossip. Hate it. Little whisper here, little whisper there. Taking people down bit by bit. Delicious morsels in your mouth, Proverbs says poison to your soul, but the destruction of other gossip, gossip, gossip. Who are you talking about behind the rest? Stop it! Stop it! It's awful! Kills the church. The enemy cackles and laughs all the way home. Don't you see? It's the antithesis of what Paul's saying here. When we do these sins, we're hoping to see people be destroyed in their faith or at least greatly hindered. And think of how much that grieves the Lord. Think of how much that limits what God wants to do in our heart right now too. God forgive us, right? And he does, and he does, and he does. Just a, just a quote here to end this thought right here. Envy and strife go together. Notice that envy and strife, they go together. Just as love and unity go together. Love covers a multitude of sins. Love and unity go together. Please, Lord, more of this and this in our church, less of this and this. Where there's envy, there's strife. Where there's love, there's unity. And this is what Paul says here. He says, if I live for Christ, I'm living for the transformation of others, making disciples of all nations. To live as Christ, to live as Christ, to live as Christ. Are we living as Christ? We are put here for the transformation of others. God, where can I be used right now within my life? Serve your church, love your church, give to your church because I want my life to count for Jesus Christ.
Maybe he's lost to think about. Lots to think about. God's word's awesome. Great time. And great time to pray. Let's do that. Let's pray. Just take a moment. There's no rush right now. There's, there's just no rush. What has God said to you and what do you need to say to God? What's your, what's your um, single greatest application to this passage right now? Um, Father, um, I, need, I need to say to you and what is it that you want to say? Uh, Jesus, forgive me for and what is it that would follow in that sentence um, Holy Spirit I desire so much that you would do what are you saying to him uh, Lord um, to live as Christ I want that to be me remember um, if you failed perfect that's the whole point of the gospel Remember too, loved ones, God will never ask from us what he's not willing to do in us. Remember, remember that. It's, it's called grace. And receive the grace right now. But what does God's grace do for us? It causes us to love him more. At least that's the point. And then to ask him for more. That this is, this is my desire, Lord, to honor you. All that's within me, God, I just... I want to give you praise. Like I see here in Paul's life. God, would you, would you do that in mine? Hey, what do you need to let go of? What, what bitterness, what, what jealousy have you just realized is so dumb? And instead, you want, to, you want to truly live. Who do you need to disciple? Who is in your life that you can encourage and love to see their progress and joy in the faith? What an opportunity. This is life because Christ is life. So again, we choose these songs carefully when we respond. We're choosing them to be an application to your heart, to my heart, and to our lives. So let's let it be that now, I pray.